you go through these motions of like blaming yourself. But the funny thing about a narcissist is they would never blame themselves. Right. And that's the difference is I was over here like, I don't even like the person that I am. I don't like who you are at all, mm-hmm. but I don't like who, who I am at all either. Right. This is really dark. And when I don't like who I am, I have to dip. Mm. y'all welcome back to made it out today's guest is an la-based actor Alyssa nicole she was most recently in renee rap's latest music video (laughs) hulu's american horror story and she has her own queer podcast your girl's favorite podcast yeah welcome thank you thank you for having me of course she's here to talk to us today about getting out of a relationship with narcissistic abuse yeah Fun times. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, but let's start kind of earlier. Let's go back to what was your childhood like? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a small town in Florida, right outside of Tampa, a cow town. Um, what's so funny about that to me too, is like Florida's so gay. Like so many people in my hometown were having these homoerotic like issues, but they were so homophobic yeah. and it's so funny your home life was like that too, was homophobic or religious. You know, my mom wasn't homophobic. She was really accepting and just gracious with me, but I can't say that she ever educated me either. You know, Mm -hmm. like she never sat me down and was like, you might be gay. She just would say, oh, that's weird, Alyssa. Maybe chill out on that. But she never, she wasn't homophobic. My dad, however, was really afraid of, I think his own issues. Um, my aunts are actually gay in Tampa and they're badass. Like my aunt designed surgical robots and uh, her wife at the time uh, was like an investor for Wachovia. Like they were just badass. Like one of them is in Forbes. Like, (laughs) and my dad, I think deep down at the time when I was little, I think that intimidated the fuck out of him because not only were they gay, but they were more manly than he was. Wow. Yeah. And I think that like struck a chord in him and it made him hate lesbians and stuff. And then, you know, I'm his worst nightmare because he he wanted me to be ladylike. He wanted me to be that perfect. Like his dream, I think, was for me to go get a business degree and go join a sorority. Mm, wow. <laughs> I, I never would do that. I, yeah. would, I would never. That's so not me. And my mom knew that. And I think I like love my mom forever for that because she even though wasn't raised to like be open minded, she was so open minded at her core because I'm her daughter. You know, yeah. she would she'd be like, well, that's just not her, you know, and she had like so much patience for me. And I think my dad just really wanted me to go a certain route and just didn't wasn't happen. happening. Yeah. 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 So when did you decide to move to L.A.? When I was 18, I got a contract with Disney and I moved to Orlando. I started doing acting in Orlando. And I just remember thinking, God, I can't I've outgrown my space. You know, like I Mm. need to be challenged. I need to go to a big city and just like figure out who I am without knowing anyone. Mm -hmm. And I had had a thought about moving to New York because my aunt is a playwright in New York. So I was like, I could go to New York and like be underneath her wing. And I thought, nah, fuck it. I'm going to go to LA and like where I know no one. Mm -hmm. And just, I had never been here before. I didn't know a single person. I showed up with like a suitcase and $700 to my name. that was it. I didn't know why I wanted to come here. Looking back, I'm actually like, that's actually insane. Like I just came here. What was your focus? Like, did you start figuring out your sexuality right away? Did yeah. you, what did you do? I think I had already figured out a little bit of that in, in Orlando. Um, but once I got to LA, I mean, well, it, 
it was very career based, right? So it was like focused on that. I was studying. I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me to dive much into the sexuality. Mm-hmm. It was more just like, I'm moving to LA to study and figure out myself and find myself or whatever that means. And yeah, so I, uh, I think I got invited when I was like 20 or 21 to one of those straight clubs, like one Oak or Hyde or whatever. And I think I was there like, this is not for me. (laughs) And and then eventually I just found myself at the Abbey all the time, or I found myself at Akbar. And I was like, "Hmm, these are just the clubs I like. And I remember some of my like straight friends from school would be like, can we please go like to Hyde where we don't have to pay for drinks or like, because the girls don't pay for drinks there, you know? So I was making it harder on myself by going to the gay clubs. And I'd be like, nah, I don't like it there. And they would be like, why? Like, I'm not sure. I just don't. And then eventually I just never stopped. I, I never went there to those places again. And yep. I found myself with gay friends and, uh, yeah. And then I realized, oh my God, I think I'm a lesbian. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in this, I've got all these lesbian friends. I go to all these <laughs> lesbian places and I only sleep with girls. I wonder if I'm not bi. <laughs> Yeah. So So then you're like in this whole queer life. What was your, do you have like a first girlfriend? I well, the first situationship was when I was like 21. The first girl that I ever felt for was like the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. She was like a supermodel in the middle of the Abbey. And I was like obsessed, like head over heels. But again, I was so focused on just like acting and trying to like figure out the industry that I didn't even make time or space for serious relationships. You know, I was very just like focused on that. Um, and in fact, still, I can't really say I've had like too many serious relationships. Okay. But I do know that you were married once. (laughs) So can we backpedal and can you tell me how did that happen? Sure. Yeah. So I'm sitting over here being like, I didn't have any serious relationships. I was married. I know. But girl, I'll, I'll explain. Uh, so I, I was going through a phase. I I have this like weird relationship with the film and acting industry where I kind of get upset with it and I retract and then I go back and I dive in and then I do, I work and then I take breaks, you know, Mm. it's just like an artist thing or whatever. And I was in this kind of weird phase where substance abuse was becoming a little bit of an issue. I was partying like crazy. I was, it was right after the pandemic ended. So everyone was just so happy, I think just to be out. And I kind of just lost sight of like, my goals and why I was in LA. And I was just on one of those waves, you know, those, those binges. And in the midst of that, I guess I met someone. I don't know how it happened still to this day. Like if you ask me, like, how did you meet? I don't know. Mm. Um, but we knew each, all I know is we knew each other for two weeks and we were drunk every day of those two weeks. Yeah. And, uh, we, All I know is we were day drinking in downtown L.A. at a bar and we ended up at Guadalupe Wedding Chapel Mm -mm. (laughs) and we were married. And I don't I still it sounds insane. And 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 like we weren't serious because I didn't know her. We weren't even dating. Right. Like we just went from like we just met and we were both we were both drinking so much to we ended up at a wedding chapel during happy hour in the middle of the day in like snapbacks and sweatpants. Yeah, that's very Britney. It's kind of iconic. Yeah. (laughs) Leave it to me to like go from like zero to 100, like no serious relationships to just like I'm at the wedding chapel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so then what does married life look like after Guadalupe Wedding Chapel. 
well, not very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Not very lovely at all. In fact, I think that it was really dark. Um, I think, uh, look for any listeners, like no self-sabotage, no jumping into shit just because you don't have anything to lose. That's not the mm. way to go. I, I think at the time I was really down bad and I was really lost. And I was frustrated when my career is not going well. I mentally am not doing well. Right. And I had just lost like a big role that I really wanted. And I was just, I just, I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like, it's just a piece of paper. Let's fucking go. Like, I don't remember what my mindset was because I was fucked up, Mm -hmm. but I do know that I didn't care, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe she didn't either. And so I'm not totally a victim in this because I definitely did it too. Mm -hmm. Um, But what, where, where the narcissistic stuff comes to play or where that comes to play is when I woke up from that fever dream and realized, oh my God, I need to sober up and get my shit together. Mm-hmm. I Which have was things, how long after? I want to say about three months into it, I okay. started to really be like, oh my God, we've been drunk for months. Like I'm married. Mm. Like oh, I called my family and I was like, I'm married. And they were like, to who? I'm like, exactly. I, <laughs> I don't know. That's I don't the know. problem. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I've never met her fam. I, you know, none of, I mean, I didn't even know her. It wasn't, yeah. it's, it's a fucked up situation on both ends because I did it too. Yeah. Uh, but you know, three months in, I realized that I'm married to this woman that I don't really know and that I don't really think I like. Yeah. And, and so yeah, I, I decided I got to sober up and I, I definitely have had issues with substance abuse, but I'm very easy at like pulling. My, I'm very good at like pulling myself out of that, too. So like when I realized, oh, my God, I've got to get back to work and I have rent to pay and bills. You know, I live on my own out here. I don't have any. So I was like, all right, I got to go back to my real life. Mm-hmm. You know, this has come to an end. And when I sat down with her and was like, look, I think we've made a mistake. I need to get sober now. I have things I have to do. I realized that she was not ready to do that and that she had never done that before and I this like cloud of like oh my god she's this is her whole life right and this is not my whole life this is just the situation that I'm in currently right that kind of hit me Mm -hmm. because I was now stuck in something legally that I didn't want to be in Mm -hmm. so okay question because it seems like there might have been two things going on at the same time Mm -hmm. like there was clearly a substance thing yeah but how did the narcissistic abuse come to light? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first time I tried to leave, that was when I first saw it. Okay. Um, I had expressed that I needed to focus on myself and that I think that we were drinking too much and I was ready to be sober and just like get back to work. And she did not like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I mean, for example, If someone ever looked at me and was like, I I think I need to focus on myself or I'm not okay mentally or I want to get sober, I would be like, oh, my God. Yeah, let's do that. Like support that person, you know, and I think that was a really good chance for her to like, even though we didn't know each other to like support me and be there for me. Mm -hmm. And instead, she like made it about herself and took it as like I was abandoning her and made she like started going bonkers um, and one of the first times that I tried to leave, she threatened to kill herself, not Mm -hmm. to go so dark, but yeah. And I I was over here like, oh my God, if I leave her now, this girl's not only, she doesn't have a job. She doesn't have anywhere to go. She can't pay her rent. She's my legal responsibility, but now she's starting to hurt herself. And that shit, 
that shit gets me. That's yeah. like how a narcissist will get you though. They say it takes seven times to leave a narcissist. I think it took me seven times. I have never heard that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Like looking back, I'm like, I did think I was in love and I was drunk as fuck and I was totally just like down for whatever. And I, we were just in that two week fever dream Mm -hmm. for her. Looking back, I'm like, I think it was calculated. I think there was a plan. I think it was like, there was a motive. Um, What do you think those were? I think I had a lot going for me. I I won't say that in like a vain way, but I mean that in like, I worked really hard to like be where I was. And even though I was going through a weird time, which is perfect timing for a narcissist to Mm -hmm. sink their claws in, I was self-made. I was self-sufficient. I had money in the bank. I was debt free. I was, had a lot of career opportunities kind of banging at my door and here I was drunk in WeHo and there she was ready to latch on, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah, it, it just, it took a turn, a really dark turn. And uh, fast forward, like after I had tried to leave multiple times, I tried to take her to rehab. I called her family for help. I was like, dude, I, I remember asking her mom. I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, I've made a mistake. I don't take, I would take responsibility for the mistake I've made by marrying this person that I don't know. But I really need out. I can't do this. This is not how I want to live my life because there was so much that came with her. I mean, just mentally. And it just people, I mean, even my family was like, Alyssa, you look sick. Mm -hmm. Like you look not well. And I'm like, what? No way. And then I just started really trying to like build her up and save her and like help her with her shit so I could get her to be self-sufficient and get on her own. But then my entire life was crumbling to pieces right you're avoiding yourself now yeah people were like hello you never followed up with me about this job or you never did and I'm like oh my god sorry I've been trying to take my quote-unquote wife to rehab like you know all of my shit was like falling and I remember saying to her like I don't think that you understand that a relationship runs two ways like I need to be nourished too and I clearly see and I don't hold that against you that you're not able to nourish me so we have, we can't do this. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. still here for you as your friend. I still want to help you. I don't want to just throw you to the wolves. You know, LA is scary, but I can't, I can't be pouring from an empty cup anymore. Right. And it's so hard because you didn't have the history of that relationship to even really motivate you to want to do that. (laughs) That was the craziest part. Yeah. You don't know her. We didn't even date. I don't even know anything about this girl. I'm still getting to know her. And she's over here like, well, you married me. And I'm like, but I did. We were drunk. We were fucked up off like five Bloody Marys in downtown LA. Yeah. In yeah, sweatpants. Yeah. yeah. What was it in you that made you feel responsible for this person other than the marriage? Looking back, I think I had a bit of a savior complex. And a therapist told me it's out of people pleasing because for so long, like if you have a childhood wound where you need to like people please and you need to like make other people happy to receive love. If someone's not happy with you, that's the worst feeling in the world. And Mm. then you want to earn that from them and you want to have, you want to make sure that they're okay. It's never about you. It's never about your emotions because as a kid, you were told that's never about that. Mm. And so a narcissist kind of like, yeah, nothing's about you. Perfect. You don't make me happy. Guess what? I win because you feel inadequate or you feel like you have to and I think that was a huge part of it was I would notice that she was going to hurt herself or that she was not okay or that she couldn't pay her bills or she didn't have anywhere to go. And I'd be like, this is my problem. Yeah. And looking back, it was totally not my problem. Right. So in the time that you were together, 
trying to leave and Mm -hmm. not being able to, what were some of the other signs that maybe she had this narcissistic side or tendency? Yeah. Um, I'll give an example. So it's like more specific, but I think narcissists don't want you to have any other energy from other people. They don't want you to get their, your happiness from anything but them. Mm. And I remember one time, this is like such a specific story, but it like sticks in my brain. I was finally out with my friends that I used to hang out with every day. And she didn't want me to go out ever, like ever, you know, and no attention needed to be on anyone else but her. That was Mm. like the vibe. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was out at this concert at the Peaches concert, you know, Peaches. And we're like in the we're in the audience and my friend Sam and Carlos are there. I'm still some of my best friends. And I was smiling and laughing because I was so happy to be like out and like with other people because Mm -hmm. this six month period or whatever had been so fucking dark and I had felt so like drained and I was just really happy. And she was, she got started a fight and made us go home because she <sighs> said, you don't smile at me like that. <laughs> oh my God. And, um, I said, Ex- excuse me, what the fuck? Like I, you should be so happy that I'm smiling like that. First of all, as my partner, you're upset that I'm smiling at my friends mm-hmm. and having a nice time. That's just a specific example. There were so many moments like that that were just like, oh my God, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Like if I were to see you healthy and smiling and glowing, I would probably be like, thank God she's okay. You know, and it was just the, it was not reciprocated in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another time, like I tried to leave, I, oh God, I just, I felt so responsible too. I think that was like the main thing is she knew the guilt that I had because I had married her too. Yeah. And she used that against me and I would never use that against her. If someone told me I made a mistake, I'd be like, you made a mistake. Like that sucks. It hurts, but you made a mistake, you know, but I had told her I made a mistake and that was irrelevant to her. It didn't matter if I thought I made a mistake. It didn't matter if my life was crumbling to shreds. The only thing that mattered was that she felt like I was abandoning her and that she, you know, and that would, that's a sign too. Like you don't give a fuck about how I feel and what's happening in my life. And, um, I remember one time I tried to leave her, I was in downtown LA and I was like, I have to go home. Like, uh, look, I I think we need to talk to your mom and you need to go home for a while and just decompress and get sober if you can. And she, this is so dark. I'm so sorry, everyone. But, uh, she punched a mirror in her Mm -hmm place and then took a piece of the glass and like sliced her arm Mm -hmm. and chased me out into the streets of downtown LA with like blood dripping down her arm and was like this is what you're doing to me if you leave and of course at the time looking back I'm like that's so fucking manipulative but in the moment I was like horrified and I felt so sad and I like wept I was like oh my god like I I wanted to hold her and you know be there for her but Mm -hmm. looking back I'm like that was just like another form of her trying to get me to not leave yeah but it's almost it's so hard with people like that because if you're a good-natured person and you like you have no ill intent it's hard to believe that people like that exist yeah and to like you are genuinely believing these things that they're saying genuinely not thinking that it's manipulation or like this almost like thought out plan like a demonic fucking shit right I yeah I I remember thinking like oh she's just lost she just needs help she just needs medication she just needs to get sober Mm -hmm. I've you know and making all all these excuses and I I just felt sorry I felt responsible Mm because again I would blame myself I'd go quickly I'd be like well I married her too 
right. this is, you know, and I would just make myself responsible for this person's problem. But fast forward, like eight months down the line, I remember feeling like I have a child, not a partner. I have right. a kid. I'm, I'm not, this is not romantic. This is not sexy. I'm not, we're not fucking, we're not, I'm just taking care of this human being that can't fend for themselves. And I'm kind of tired now. Right. But how, what got you to that point? Just after, I mean, even when she tried to sober up for, I think it was like two months and it didn't last. I didn't even like her when she was sober. Right. Right. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, I don't even like her. It's not that she's not alcohol. It's the problem. I just don't like the person. So when you were in it at first, did you think, okay, this is substance abuse. And then once she got sober, then you were like, okay, this is something, something darker. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then once I dove into her past, with an open mind, but I wasn't just believing what she was telling me about her past, but I was believing what actually what their sources were explaining to me about her past. I was like, oh shit, this is a pattern. This is a thing. This is something she's diagnosed with. This is a, a very abusive relationship that she was getting out of before that, where she just kind of finds new supply. And she had tried to cling on to my best friend, Hannah, before she met me. And that's what we're so close now because of that. Well, that's, it's so messy after those relationships. I've I have been in relationships that are very similar to this, yeah. not to that extreme, but I've definitely been with some people who I would think are on the narcissist scale yeah, on, the <laughs> on the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. And then in my case, I started acting out yeah. because then you're pissed. Now oh, you're like, yeah. you've spun me into such a tizzy. You've said things about me. You've made me question myself. You've made me like, you're, you've got me so fucked up and confused that now I'm stooping to your level and I'm just as toxic as oh you. Oh my God. I'm so happy you said that. Cause there, there's so much guilt that I still have had to unpack in therapy from that because I became someone I didn't want to be. And you know, but I think that's the difference if you don't, if you're not a narcissist versus if you are, is like when you look in the mirror and you're like, Oh my God, I'm disgusted with myself. Like, I can't believe I would treat someone like this out of like anger and bitterness and like frustration and feeling stuck and trapped and like neglected. And so you, you go through these motions of like blaming yourself. But the funny thing about a narcissist is they would never blame themselves. And that's the difference is I was over here. Like, I don't even like the person that I am. I don't like who you are at all, Mm -hmm. but I don't like who who I am at all either. This is really dark. And when I don't like who I am, I have to dip. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to not like you, but if I don't like me, I got to go now. Uh, Yeah. And I think like if you're in that spiral afterwards, it does all kind of come back to intent. Yeah. Like if you are questioning it and if you are examining yourself and doing the work within, then you're already ahead. (laughs) You're already way ahead. You're okay. But yeah, I was questioning if I'm a fucking narcissist. Yeah, same, same, same. And that's like the most like, oh God, that's so dark because you, then you're Googling like, am I a narcissist? Am I I crazy? Yeah, (laughs) I did that. Yeah, no, same. Cause I was thinking, oh my God, did I manipulate her to being with me? And did I like, no, I tried to leave so many times. (laughs) (laughs) She wouldn't let me. It's like really dark because I actually, when you're talking to someone who has like severe depression, who has tried to off themselves and you would never know. I would never threaten that to anyone. In fact, like my mom gets really concerned if I send a long I love you text because Mm. she's like oh my god like not to say there's a specific way to be suicidal I'm sure there's all sorts of ways but at heart like if you're actually suicidal you're not going to try to hurt your loved ones with that in fact that's like the hardest part about it and so the fact that narcissists have this dark way of like threatening self-harm to Mm. keep you at their to keep you as their supply fuck that wow yeah 
So how have you switched that narrative in your mind? Like what self-work have you done to get to a point where you like won't fall back into that? I think that, I mean, I'm so grateful that that relationship happened Mm -hmm. because I think it had to force me into my own self. And it, it showed me that I do crave connection. Yeah. I moved here to do all of these artistic things, but Mm. I also still am a human being who craves connection and love too. And Mm. I didn't, I I don't think I went there until then. And I realized after getting out of that, like, okay, I totally crave connection. I totally want a relationship. I just need a healthy one that, that liberates me instead of binds me, you know? So I think that that relationship was really helpful for me to realize like what I wanted in someone and what I what I want moving forward in someone. And like now in the beginning, I just, I set boundaries. And if I smell a little bit of like those signs, I, I dip. So how did you finally make it out of the relationship? Uh, I planned my escape with the help of incredible people around me. I think God, like the shit will make me emotional. I like my friends were so patient with me and so like non-judgmental and like, the people that really said to me, like, we got you, like, we're going to be a rock. Like you got this, like they, that was what helped me for sure. But like, it took me about three months to really like get her somewhere because it had to be, she didn't have anywhere to go. So, and she was living with me at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tried to buy her a ticket home to go see her family so I could like do it then. But yeah, eventually I just said, well, this is not my problem anymore. I still have to like set boundaries. And even though the guilt was still there, I threw a shit outside. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But it came, it was a hard, it it took a while to get to that point. I, I would not, I, it took me so long to get, I mean, I really didn't want to do that, Mm -hmm. but I did do that. But good for you Yeah, (laughs) for getting to that point within yourself to be able to do that because that really takes like putting yourself first and saying like enough is enough. I'm like, you got to go somewhere because you're ruining my life. Yeah, absolutely. Good for you. Yeah. It's been great ever since. I mean- it's so insane if you are dealing with narcissistic abuse and you're going through that. I mentioned this a little bit on my podcast. Like, it's like so many blessings are banging at your door waiting to come into your life until you listen to the signs. There was so much like ready to like flow into my life, but it was waiting until I was like finally sticking up for myself. Cut the cord. And when I cut the cord um, and made it out... Shit started to go really well for me Mm -hmm. and I'm doing very well. Good for you. That makes me really happy. And I do really (laughs) believe that. I said the same exact thing. I was like back and forth, back and forth with this person. And I literally said the minute I block this number, I just know that my life is going to change. Three days after Mathilde, Mathilde found me. It's crazy. You you have like a soul connection with someone who's actually like building you up and you guys are growing together. You guys are creating together like that's but the universe will not give you that until you listen to what they're trying to tell you. Well, until you say I deserve this, I deserve more than what I'm allowing myself to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The more you entertain a narcissist, the more you are Feed. doing you're the world them. a disservice mm-hmm. because you're feeding them and then they're going to go on to the next. The sooner they can just hit rock bottom, the sooner maybe they can hopefully have an ego death and figure their shit out. For real. I think that like talking on boundaries, that's why boundaries are so important because yeah. it's not only a time for you to like reflect on what you need. It's a, 
it's a time for the other person to reflect on why the boundary is being set. Yes. And yeah. so I think it's like really, it's important for both parties. And those types of people do need to lose absolutely everything. They if need they, to if, hit if, the bottom. Yeah. If anything's ever going to change. Yeah. So scary. Good for you, Good for, you yeah. for being that part of her journey. Thank you. Yes. Cheers. <laughs> So what advice do you have for someone who is maybe in this type of relationship? Listen to the people around you. Mm. I think it's really easy to receive all of your like validation and your information from the narcissist because that's their goal, right? To isolate you. But the people around you might know something, especially the people that really care about you and that have nothing to gain. Like the people that are your friends that don't benefit from telling you this information why else would they tell you this information yeah if your family and your friends granted there's manipulative friends too so like be careful of that but essentially the people that really care about you they might be able to see things that you can't see at the time because you're in this state of like being abused or being manipulated Mm -hmm. and it, it was the people around me that really just like gently drilled into me you look sick you look not okay this person is not well this person is trying to ruin your life. And I'd be like, no, no. Yeah. She's great. No. Open yourself up <laughs> to the feedback too. Listen to what people are telling you yeah. because they they have a point. Like no one's gaining anything from usually from warning you about stuff. And like, thank God, if you don't have those people, you know, listen to your instincts, listen to your gut and don't let someone just because you have this like people pleasing tendency or this like need to, uh, save someone or whatever. Don't let that cloud your judgment. If you're going through something and it's not all adding up, like if they're putting all the blame on you, Mm -hmm. like question things. Yeah. Follow your intuition. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. We take advice submissions from our listeners. Okay. I just started seeing a girl and she's good friends with her ex They've been broken up for a year now, but they text all the time and it makes me uncomfortable. Is it okay for me to set a boundary for her not to talk to her ex? (laughs) This is kind of tough. What do you think? (laughs) Don't throw it on me. (laughs) I think it really is like all situational and it depends on that specific ex and that specific relationship. Like my Matilda's friends with her exes that she's been broken up with and I don't care at all. Yeah. If they but I guess if they were texting all the time, that's a bit much. Well, what I would want to know is what are they texting about? I want to see. I want the receipts. I was going to say <laughs> like are you texting them like about me? You know, are you asking for advice on like, you know, if they have all this history together, maybe they know each other in a different way and so they are able to give each other good advice about relationship stuff. Okay, that seems like a little bit maybe That seems biased to really? me. I don't like that. Okay. I don't know. know. I'm just trying to be optimistic. I'm like, okay, maybe if they're like talking about what are they talking? I don't know. Put me in the thread. Put us all in a group chat. What do you have to hide? Because if you've if you've slept with this person, you shared so much of your life with this person. Are you like sitting there reminiscing? That shit is weird as fuck. But if you're just talking about friend things and you're asking for advice, maybe that's okay. All the time, I'm not, I'm not, no. And also, (laughs) also, you are not asking for relationship advice. From Like, that feels like a boundary for me. I think that would be my boundary. Like, you are not... Okay, you know my advice. What's her name? Who's who's asking this? We didn't even, we didn't even put a name. Girl, just, just read it. 
Just read the text? Yeah, because you need to know what's happening here. You're or saying read the text? <laughs> or ask. Oh my God, this has gone off the rails. <laughs> ask permission. Ask, ask, say, ask your girlfriend, say, can you show me what you guys talk about? Because it's very different that what you're talking about has a lot to do with it. Like if if they're being wholesome and they're just truly friends. okay. yeah, I agree. I think it is. It all comes down to the nature of the relationship. Totally. Maybe nature of the breakup and nature of the relationship. Like totally. If this was like a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you you guys were still fucking. Maybe they broke up a year ago. Right. But you were still fucking two weeks before we started to get together. That's weird. Yeah, like yeah. it all it's really situational. You need to just ask questions. You need to you need to say, "Show me what's happening here." <laughs> if you guys are truly friends, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I I yeah, I think it all comes down to intent. <laughs> good luck with that. I don't that. know if we gave them any advice, I think but so. <laughs> I think we just spiraled with you, but good luck. <laughs> okay, we play a game. It's called U-Haul or You Ghost. Okay. She constantly quotes and refers to TikToks. You ghost. Really? You're not a TikTok person. It's awesome. Love that. Support that. But I can't get with the all of the Gen Z lingo. Yeah. I don't think. Probably because I'm just ignorant to it. Like, I don't know it very well. Yeah. 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 I'm not catching your references. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. No idea. (laughs) Like, maybe some. Like, I'm a little tapped in, but yeah, I'm lost. Okay. That's fair. I think I'd be on the same page. Yeah. What about if she's been on reality TV? I've already dated girls that have been on reality TV. So, uh, U-Haul, fuck it. I was willing to be on reality yeah. TV. I like auditioned for several shows. Totally. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that says anything about your character. I guess it depends on who you were on reality TV. Like fair. <laughs> what did you do on that show? But I mean, yeah, it's a situational situation. And honestly, you're probably fun if you yeah. were on reality yeah, TV. For sure. Yeah. I like it. You all. Yeah. Okay. What about if she carries a Stanley everywhere? I'm going to go you ghost. You're ghosting over a Stanley? God, yeah. Because it's so like bandwagony. It's so like, (laughs) oh, like, I think I'm ghosting. I'm getting Alyssa a Stanley. Have you ever used a Stanley? No. It's the best. There's a reason why there's a bandwagon. Some things you have to give into. Why are they the best? Because it has the handle, it has the straw. You will drink more water. I'm gonna get you. What is the difference between a Stanley and any other cup? It's honestly, it's the (laughs) handle straw combo, the size, and here's the big selling thing. It fits in any cup holder. Okay. The base is the size of any cup holder. Life changing. <laughs> it truly is. Okay. All right. Maybe you haul then. <laughs> you convinced me. <laughs> now we're going to see Alyssa carrying a Stanley everywhere. <laughs> Tell me what you're working on right now. What projects? What do you have going on? Well, the podcast I'd like to shout out. Uh, we also have a podcast. Uh, Blake is so great. She created this whole idea called your girl's favorite podcast. And originally we were just going to like film in her room and then it became this whole thing. And now people are like really liking it. It's more of just like an unhinged group group chat, less of like an interview situation, more of like a, a group chat, but yeah, so we're doing that. And as for like films and stuff like that, I actually have a premiere tomorrow, um, where I, I'm in a queer horror film and I, it's going to be great. I love that. I can't wait to watch. It's called Iconic, directed by Matthew Freiheit. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. But follow Alyssa to keep up with it. What's your handle? WTF Alyssa Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and we do like a cheers at the end. Okay. We've been drinking rosé. What are your final thoughts, final words? Cheers Don't get them. married drunk. I, do not go to Guadalupe wedding <laughs> chapel. Stay away. And once you've made it out, life is so good. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. Support lesbian content. Rate, review, subscribe, follow. This podcast was produced and edited by Matilde Jordan and worked on solely by lesbians. So send this episode to every single person you've ever met and spread the gay agenda. That's not a third nip. That's obviously a clit. It's now time to lick. That's beautiful. <laughs>